This is Brian Gitt. My name is Patrick Moore. This is Dr. William Mackis. This is Bruce Party. This is Tom Luongo. This is Steve Barber, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Monday. Man, the weekend uh, was a busy one on this side. Uh, all you hockey goers, maybe you got older kids and you've already been hard at it, but uh, us on this side, you seven started up uh, back in the ranks in, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like 80 six and under like just like like six and under five five-year-olds like just going crazy and uh tons of smiles good to see it was a it was a healthy weekend busy I'm I'm not gonna lie I'm I'm kind of worn out from the weekend but I think that's just the beginning of it here as as hockey season gets back in uh full swing um we got a good interesting one on tap for you today for Monday uh but before we get there we got to talk about uh, our our sponsors Canadians for Truth a nonprofit organization consisting of Canadians who believe in honesty integrity and principled leadership in in government uh, yeah, obviously I got to host an event with them as they launched their their uh their media division with uh, Theo Fleury, Jamie Saleh, and Joseph Borgo. They got uh, one of their first shows in in person shows uh Fire and Ice with Theo and Jamie um they're going to be interviewing Arter Pulowski. He's uh, the pastor who was jailed. Uh, they're going to be in Calgary uh, October 22nd, so that's coming right up here. And then they're going to be in Swift Current October 29th. So if you were looking for tickets for that, just search out canadiansfortruth.ca. Uh, it's all it's on the website or go to their Facebook page. You can just scroll through and find it there as well. Um, but uh, either way, they got events coming up. If you're, if you're looking to take in some of that, they're going to be in Swift Current and Calgary here in the coming weeks. So pretty cool there. Uh Profit River, Clay Smiley, the team over there, they've helped out uh, in multiple different ways, you know, when it comes to the podcast. Uh, the most recent one, which actually has now been probably a month or so, was when we got Terry Bryant on. That was Alberta Ch- uh, Alberta's chief firearms officer, Jiminy Cricks. Uh, can't spit it out again tonight, folks. Um, and uh, she was a fantastic little interview. And, and that was a hookup uh, right from uh, Clay Smile and the team over at Profit River. Either way, uh, they specialize in importing firearms from the United States of America and pride themselves on making this process easy for all their customers as humanly possible. Uh, the team over at Profit uh, River also does all the appropriate paperwork on both sides of the border to legally get you the firearm, you know, legally get the firearm into Canada, I was going to say. Uh, you know, anytime now is it just gets more and more confusing. I, I think when you got a team that knows what they're doing, uh, that's where you want to put your trust in, and uh, they help, or, or they serve all of Canada. You, all you got to do is go to tr- ProfitRiver.com. Man, like, you know, it is Sunday night, and I, 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 I say this again. I uh, literally decided probably like a month ago, you know, I'm going to stop trying to make this so damn perfect at the start. That's the only way people are going to listen to these bloody things is if I, uh, you know, mess up some blooper reels in the middle of it. But, you know, right at this point, it doesn't feel that fucking comfortable. I'm like, dang it. Like, I just want to spit it out in a nice, you know, some days you get into cadence and you just boom, 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 boom. Anyways, sorry, Profit River. I'm kind of crapping on your ad here. Either way, go to ProfitRiver.com. They're the major retailers of firearms, optics, and accessories. And I really, I like underline this. They serve all the Canada. So it doesn't matter. I was asking on the Tuesday mashup, you know, I'm, I'm looking to see where all the listeners are coming in from. For me, it's like super cool, you know. And um, we hadn't heard of anybody from Nova Scotia. Uh, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, PEI, and we got uh, uh, 
New Brunswick, I believe, and Nova Scotia this week. So we're slowly checking off the boxes in all the provinces and hopefully territories at some point as well in, in Canada. That'd be super cool. Either way, you get the point. They serve all of Canada. They can help you. Go to ProfitRiver.com. Tyson and Tracy Mitchell with Mitchco Environmental, family-owned business that has been providing professional vegetation management services for both Alberta and Saskatchewan in the oil field and industrial sectors since 1998. Uh, you know, they hopped on board and... I was like, well, this is, you know, this is going to be interesting because uh, their busy season, what they do is in the summer, they go around spraying oil leases and different, you know, industrial uh, uh, sites and that type of thing. So their busy season is for like, what is it here in Canada, four months. And so for the rest of time, uh, up until they they fire back up again, because, you know, they're slowly shutting her down here. Um, Now it's all about if you're a student, I would say, in school, university, and you're like, man, I'd really like a job that's going to pay some good bucks. They're going to hire a, a whole whack of, uh, or a whole group of people here come next summer. Well, Mitchco Environmental is where you want to be. They, they, uh, tons of work. You'll work a ton. You're going to make some big money and you're going to be able to go back with, uh, you know, some, some change in your pocket, so to speak, when you go back to school. Either way, go take a look at them. Mitchco Environmental. Uh, MitchcoCorp.ca. That's where you can find out more about them. Carly Clausen and the team over at Windsor Plywood, builders of the podcast studio table. He was out on the ice this, uh, this weekend. U7, a uh, little hockey with me and Charles. Um, you know, one of these days I could get Char- uh, Carly back. I wonder if he remembers what this table looks like. But uh, I had uh, Dan Beheels. He was uh, this past Friday's guest, and he was in, and he, <laughs> you know, everybody who comes in the studio is like, yeah, hey, I've heard a lot about this table. Let's see it. And they're like, oh, yeah. That is a solid piece of lumber. Well, if you're looking for lumber, you know, if you're looking for that, that uh, you know, that character piece in the house, go to Windsor Plywood, whether we're talking mantles, decks, windows, doors, sheds, or one hell of a fancy table, uh, give Windsor Plywood a call, 875-9663. Uh, if you're looking for, um, uh, you know, uh, office space, rental space, garden management, they uh, they can hook you up. They got everything from, you know, small what I'm in all the way up to, uh, uh, you know, multiple employees, that type of thing. Just go to Gartner Management. Give them a – oh, man. See what I mean? I'm like I'm like reading and watching. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, folks. Like, you know how much this pains me? It's like knives going in right now as I try and – you know what? I'm holding on. I'm going to get through this. And you're all probably chuckling. Maybe you fast forward. I don't know. If you're listening to this, I feel sorry for you because right now I'm struggling. Gartner freaking management, Lloydminster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help your needs, whether you're looking for a small office or you got, uh, you know, larger needs. Give Wade Gartner a call, 780-808-5025. Before we get on the tail of the tape, a reminder, the QDM and two stand-up tickets are on sale. We are running out. So if you were thinking about buying a ticket and you haven't yet, um, in the show notes, there's tickets. You can buy individual tickets. You can buy a table of 10. Uh, I think we are under 50 left now. So it's coming up quick. Quick. November 5th is the show. So if you're sitting there going, yeah, I'll get one a little closer. It's like, nope, they're going to be uh, taken offline here awfully quick. So if you want to go get one, click on the show notes, go pick one up, and we'll see you on November 5th. Now let's get on to that tail of the tape. I've been blabbering for, it says seven minutes. Oh my goodness. Now let's get on the tail of the tape, brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals, delivering to your farm, commercial, oil field locations. For more information, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca.
She's a freelance writer and journalist, podcaster, the founder and editor of The Feminist Current, has appeared multiple times on Joe Rogan and interviewed different high-profile guests such as Brett Weinstein. I'm talking about Megan Murphy. So buckle up. Here we go. I'm Megan Murphy, and you are listening to The Sean Noonan Podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Megan Murphy. So first off, uh, thanks for hopping on. Thank you for having me. It's been a little bit of a process. I find sometimes, um, you know, you you set things in stone and then life happens and we bounce around here and there. And I guess uh, today is when it was going to happen. So it's always a fun little process of lining up some guests that aren't sitting, you know, right next door to me here in Alberta. You're down in Mexico. How is the weather there today? Hot. <laughs> humid sweaty it's i mean yeah the summer is here it's still summer here so like until we'll get some relief in november but from about like july through october it's it's like super humid it's not i mean it's not too bad i shouldn't i shouldn't complain much because i'd much rather be in the warm weather than in the cold canadian weather but are you are you enjoying are you enjoying the switch from uh because you're originally from vancouver ish yeah yeah, no, I was born in Vancouver. Oh, you were born in, in Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, so like in in the city, I know some people say Vancouver, but they actually mean the greater Vancouver, but actually in the city. And I lived there for my whole life until uh, I guess about, I've been here in Mexico for a year and a half now, um, two years in January. And yeah, I like it much better here. I don't think I... I mean, never say never. I have no idea what the future holds for me, but I have no specific desire to move back to Canada again. What was the um, the push to make you move south? Well, I mean, I have been coming to Sayulita, which is where I am, for many years now on vacation. And I've always loved it here. And I've sort of in my brain always been like, how can I just stay here forever? (laughs) But it was never possible. I've always, you know, I was always in school or I obviously had some jobs that tied me there or boyfriends or what have you. And also it just didn't seem realistic to just pick up and move to Mexico. But when COVID happened and everything shut down, everything I was doing was online. Um, and most things I'd been doing were online at that point anyway, aside from doing events, which, you know, I had been doing talks and events pretty frequently at that point and traveling a lot, but that all disappeared. So I technically had the freedom to go somewhere else and I was miserable in Canada. I like the lockdowns, like, you know, the- you don't say, I know, eh? Like, I, I didn't super enjoy being trapped in my friggin' apartment every day, all day, without any kind of social life or, you know, normalcy, um, without, you know, human touch. Um, and, yeah, like, and I just, I was getting really freaked out by what the government was doing, um, both with regard to the lockdowns and the impending, at that point, vaccine mandates they hadn't implemented yet but they appeared to be coming it looked like they were going to shut down the borders and I was really scared that I was going to get trapped in Canada and not be able to leave um, which may well have happened 
Um, so I, and, and, you know, Trudeau's crackdown on free speech, like his attempts to, he keeps trying to push through these um, online hate speech bills, which would target me, you know, like the, his version of hate speech is my version of telling the truth. You know, his version of hate speech is speaking critically about government ideology and policy, right? So things like criticizing the COVID lockdowns and vaccine mandates, as well as things like criticizing gender identity legislation and gender identity ideology, you know, those were like sort of the primary things that I had been talking about at that point. Um, and I was scared. I was like, I'm not going to be able to work here. You know, I was worried about somebody trying to charge me with hate speech. I was worried about my, my yeah, my ability to work and make a living um, being cut off. And I came down here and I had planned to stay for about a month and a half. Like I had booked somewhere to stay for a month and a half. And I thought, you know, maybe I'd extend it for a bit, depending how things go and I just kept extending it until at a certain point I was like oh I guess I just live here now <laughs> so and it was I was so much happier here like I love I love the lifestyle I love the community I like living in a it's a small town but it's like a pretty wild town so it's small but it's not quiet um I feel like people are way more into having fun here than they are in Vancouver I feel like Vancouver is a very dull uptight cold city and I sort of felt like all my friends had just come to terms with the fact that their fun parts of their lives were done and they were just going to shut it down and order Uber Eats in their apartments for the rest of their lives and I was like I don't want to do that I still want to go out and be around I don't think they want to do that do they you know like I think they just think that's how it is you know like whether they want to or not, I think they've resigned themselves to that life. And as to a certain extent, I think some people have gotten comfortable with that because they feel that they've developed some kind of social anxiety or they feel like they can't afford to go out. You know, it's crazy expensive in Vancouver. So I think that factors in also. But I think that a lot of people, I mean, I can't speak I've only ever lived in Vancouver. I've not lived in other provinces. So I can't say if it's like this in all other Canadian cities or provinces. But I think Vancouver particularly is quite, you know, like anti-fun. Even in the way, you know, bars and restaurant licensing goes, um, you sort of, a lot of bars in Vancouver, you have to go and you have to sit down at a table and only talk to the person across from you. And you're not allowed to stand up and move around because of the the license that the bar has. And then people in Vancouver are pretty resistant to meeting new people and making new friends. Um, A lot of my friends have become parents and I think have, you know, decided that that means that there's no more fun in sight. And I don't, it just was well, not, I, I was I like, this isn't you, how I want my life to be. You know, I got three young kids and I can tell you, uh, although life changes as it certainly does, um, you know, um, it's a little busier and hectic and I can go down the list of all the words that come associated with having children. But uh, uh, fun is still had just in a different, uh, a different sense and you got to pick and choose your times 
But you know, coming from the West, I always assumed Vancouver was this fun, the big city. You know, let's let's go to the West, see the see the ocean, the coast, and blah 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 blah. But gee, you're making me feel pretty good that I'm landlocked and and on the border of Alberta, Saskatchewan, because um, out here in the dark, dark winter, we always find ways to have a little bit of fun, anyways. I mean, Vancouver is beautiful and I love BC, you know, like I love the islands. Um, I love, yeah, I love the landscape. I love the mountains and the ocean. Um, I, I don't, you know, I used to think Vancouver was fun, but I think that was partly just because I hadn't been exposed to other places and other cultures. I just, I just find that here where I'm living, at least, there's a much stronger sense of community um and openness i think people are a lot more relaxed and would that um, be friendly uh, uh, to the listener i'm somebody will check me on this but i'm like 98 percent sure that's the same you're in the same uh town in mexico as mike kuzmiskus and he's been a guest on the the podcast multiple times so i'd love to say you're the first to do a show for mexico but you're you're sadly not i i'm just <laughs> like isn't that wild in the same town you think uh, a ton of people um coming from Canada and, and different parts of North America to end in where you're at, they got to be open to like meeting new people, trying new things. Cause that's not something all of hell in this, in this country, you know, you got people that are terrified to move from Ontario to Alberta right now. And that's kind of funny. Cause I'm like, it's within your country and don't get me wrong. Is it change? Yes. And is it, you know, a whole bunch of things? Sure. But generally you move across the country. We're still speaking English. We still have relatively the same values, different premier, a few different sets of laws, but overall it's the same thing. What, you know, you, uh, embarked on is something me being the most adventure. Well, I, I enjoy adventure, but that one is a little bigger of a, a test i would say to go to a different country where english is definitely not the main language definitely you know a whole bunch of different laws different things uh scenery uh, aside that's that's a big jump and if you're going to land in a spot with a bunch of north american people you know a bunch of canadians and uh u.s and i'm sure there's all over the place you gotta think they're pretty open to meeting some people and they all got probably something that really pushed them to move away from where uh, they grew up Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you have to be. I always, when people are like, should I move to Mexico? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's not for everyone. I mean, you have to be very flexible and pretty open-minded. Like, you can't, you don't have as much control over your surroundings and, you know, whether or not the power stays on, what your Wi-Fi connection's like. You don't have easy access to luxuries. Um there's a lot of weird bugs. <laughs> there's a lot of roosters. There's a lot of dogs. Like, and yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Like, and you just have to did be you ever, able to kind of go did, with the flow. Did you ever think, Megan, you you'd end up, uh, you know, if you could retrace the steps of your life, did you ever think they were leading you to to the coast down south? Um, I don't know that I thought that, but I feel like I always wanted to. I mean, I the first time I ever came to Sayulita was in 2006 um, because a friend of mine was traveling through Mexico and she happened to end up here. So I came down to visit her for a couple of weeks. And I even back then, when there was like almost nothing here then. Like now there's like tons of restaurants and bars and ATM machines. There were no ATM machines here in 2006. There was like not very much in the way of bars. The power went out every single night. They ran out of water every single winter. Um, 
and it was a lot slower but even then I loved it and I just was like how can I figure out a way to stay here so it was it definitely was not a plan in any way at all I did not think I was going to stay here I you know abandoned my apartment and all my stuff in Vancouver um uh and but yeah I just I and I didn't know anybody when I came down here it wasn't you know like I obviously met had met a few people here and there but it wasn't like I had friends here I was really just came down here and met people and made friends and I think because so many people come here from other places people are obviously open and interested in talking and meeting people you know there were a lot of people that did the same thing that I did who came from Canada and the U.S. during COVID um and so uh, most people are kind of going to be on the same page about the the nonsense that was going on around the COVID lockdowns. You know, there was nobody was social distancing or wearing masks here. You know, we were just operating as normal, completely as normal. Everybody was packed in the bars, you know, sharing spit, like sharing food, <laughs> sharing cigarettes, literally sharing spit. And nobody was like, People, you know, it just was so hilarious to me that I was like, you know, you guys could all be doing this too, but you're hyper paranoid and then confined to your propaganda bubble where you think the entire world is locked away in your apartment just but like you, have, you are. You have a, you have, you know, um, I guess this is where I'll go with this. You have a really interesting perspective on that because, you know, when I... I, I was saying, I think in my initial email I sent you, I don't know how I stumbled on you. Like, I, I actually have no idea. I didn't know who uh, Megan Murphy was. Literally, I don't know, what was it? Three months I reached out to you ago, whatever it was. Before mm. that, I'd never heard your name. Like, I just, I, I lived under a rock. I lived in a bubble, whatever it was. That's where I lived. And through COVID, when I started talking openly about different things, I remember thinking, like, there has to be more out there. Like, where are they? And then I run into the rabbit hole of Megan Murphy and I start going down. I'm like, oh, here's a lady who has been in it for a long time. Why have I never? <laughs> well, because our our media or whatever doesn't really funnel that to the greater population. And even if they did, I probably wouldn't have been smart enough to pick up on it, uh, you know, let alone a year ago. Well, probably a year ago, but three years ago, probably not. I probably would have just head down. Oilers game is on and I'm, I'm moving along. I think probably for the listener, Megan, I would love for you to tell, you know, I, I, I wrote this down because I don't know where I stole this, probably your website. It says Megan began her radio career in 2007 in the trailer in the middle of a sheep field. <laughs> the show was called the F word. And I'm like, well, I think, I think what I need from you is, and for the listener, right? Maybe they know exactly who they are. Chances are there's going to be a bunch of Sean's out there. They're like, who is this lady, Sean? And why did you bring her on? Yeah. Can you start with just a little backstory on a trailer in a sheep field with the F word and, and how you get from there to Mexico. Right. So, so I actually, I did, I did live on a little golf Island off the coast of BC called Denman Island for about a year and a half, probably around 2007. Um, and so yeah, so other than Vancouver, that's the only place I actually had ever lived, and that was still in BC um, and temporary. But when I lived on that little, there was like a thousand people on this island. It was really small, really quiet, not much going on. Um, 
but they had a pirate radio station there in a trailer in the middle of a sheep field. <laughs> so did you wear started... a tinfoil hat while you were in? <laughs> no, <laughs> I just brought my laptop and I played like the hip hop songs that I liked, and then I would like read passages from Andrew Dworkin books and drink beers. Um, and I mean, I just I I sort of always wanted to get into radio. I thought I might, you know, I was always interested in. I always wanted to get into writing, to journalism, like media. I was always interested in like film, documentary, stuff like that. And so I was sort of at that point testing things out to see where I wanted to go. And so I started a radio show on the pirate radio station there. Um, and I would, you know, cross the sheep field at like, it was pretty late at night. So it was always dark. It was probably at like, you know, 10, 10 or 11 p.m. that I was doing this radio show. And there were cougars on the island. So I would like, Cross the sheep field in like my calm, like my, there were rubber boots, but they were like steel toed rubber boots in case I needed to kick a ram or a cougar in the head or something like that. And I had my headlamp and yeah, I would, I would sit in the little trailer all by myself for an hour or so and do whatever I wanted to do. And at a certain point I decided that, and I had been doing online classes, like I had sort of been gradually, slowly completing a degree without much direction or time or money to do that full time um, and was undecided where I wanted to head with my degree. I was taking, you know, media studies courses and writing courses and courses in women's studies. Um, and once I decided, I was like, okay, I actually want to finish degree, a degree. I had to move back to Vancouver. So once I moved back to Vancouver, I got involved with a radio show at Vancouver Co-op Radio and we started podcasting and I started getting into journalism. Um, and so that's how I sort of started podcasting and I started writing that, you know, I started blogging on our, our website. Um, what's, and, what's some of the biggest things maybe, you know, if you sitting where you're at right now, if you could go back and I'm going to take a, I'm going to shoot to, I'm not going to throw out a, a number because I, I hate women's age. I'm horrendous at it. We'll say 28, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you could go back to when you're just starting out, what are some of the pitfalls you ran into over the course of 2007, F word in the middle of a sheep field, to now, uh, you know, like uh, for the listener, um, you've had a guy on your show, which I think is pretty cool, and Brett Weinstein, like that, that was, uh, well, I mean, geez, Louise, who doesn't like him? You've been on this, I don't know if anyone's heard of this one. You've been on the Joe Rogan podcast, right? Like that's no small fry. You've you've jumped by leaps and bounds. And yet when I found you on uh, Joe Rogan for the first time, I was like, who is this Canadian? <laughs> and I search out, I love seeing Canadians. And then I got to try and find out more about them because I'm like, here I sit. But if you could go back and look, you know, talk to a younger you, what would you say uh, about some things along the road? Because you have not steered out of the rough waters. You have put yourself in the middle of the storm talking about some, uh, I don't know what the word is, some some rough conversations or at least uh, mm -hmm. polarizing conversations. Yeah, I mean, I was always controversial right from the beginning. Um, like when I first started blogging, which would have been back in, you know, 2010 2011 maybe um everybody i made everybody mad right away 
because I was writing, I was writing about feminism, but I wasn't writing about feminism in the way that was popular at that time. So I was really critical of things like, well, I was critical of the sex industry. I was writing critically about prostitution, which is not in, in third wave feminism, in modern feminism, you're supposed to pretend that prostitution and pornography are empowering for women. And it's, you know, a woman's choice and she's free to do it and those kinds of things. Um, I was super critical of this modern idea that young women should or could self-objectify and that that would be empowering for them. You know, I was critical of something that was at the time called slut walk. I don't know if you ever heard about that, but it actually started in Toronto and it was like these girls out and parading around in like their bras claiming that they were fighting rape culture. Um, and I just thought that whole thing was ridiculous and counter to their aims. Like, it's like, don't look at me as a sex object, but here's my tits. <laughs> and every, and so I pissed everybody off right away. And so I just, I think I'm, I just got used to being pretty controversial, which isn't to say that it hasn't been hard. It's been really, really hard because, you know, I've continuously been attacked and vilified and silenced. And, you know, my, my website has been attacked over and over and over again. I was banned from Twitter, of course, in 2018 for say referring to a man as he who was identifying as a trans woman. Um, and like, I don't really like in terms of, like, I'm happy with my path. I didn't, cause it was totally, it, a lot of it was so unintentional. You know, I just started doing things and kept doing things and they developed into, you know, it all developed into what I'm doing today. And I've, I've learned a lot through that path and changed my mind about so many things and expanded beyond a focus on feminism which is what I did for many years and kind of I got a bit bored with that focus but I also started to feel like even you know even within my like alternative the vision of feminism there was a lot of ideological cultishness and rigidity um, I was always a leftist for my whole life, you know, like I was always, I was a socialist for my whole life. I voted NDP in every single federal and provincial election for my whole life until, you know, I don't know, maybe four, three or four years ago when I finally couldn't bring myself to do that so, anymore. Well, let's, let's pick out three, four, five years ago. What was it up till that point that made you vote NDP and what was the final straw that push you away from that? Um, I voted for the NDP because I care about healthcare. I want, like, I'm supportive of universal healthcare. I'm supportive of the labor movement and unions. Um, at that time, I thought of it as, you know, voting for social housing um, and social safety nets a stronger welfare system, a higher minimum wage, universal daycare. Those were all reasons why I was voting for the NDP. Um, and I came from a labor family. Like my my dad worked for the, the post office for many years when I was a kid and was heavily involved in the union. I would go to union meetings. I would go on strike with my dad. Um, so I was, yeah, very supportive of, of the labor movement and, of unions. So 
we just all we our family always supported the NDP. My dad was an NDP member. And I never really questioned it. You know, like I was one of those leftists who thought that if you didn't see my things my way, you either were stupid and you didn't get it, or you were a bad person who didn't care about, you know, poor people or the working class. And that's not true at all. You know, like I've my eyes have been opened about that. Um, I definitely don't see things like that nowadays. The final straw for me at the time when I stopped voting for the NDP um, was, you know, in in 2016, it was it was it was the Liberal Party that introduced um, Canada's gender identity legislation, Bill C-16, which was passed in 27. But the NDP was in full support of that bill and that legislation and refused any conversation about it. You know, I contacted my MP many times to talk to him about my concerns and how it would impact women's rights. And he refused a conversation. Um, the NDP, you know, pulled funding from organizations that I was aligned with because they supported women-only spaces and didn't support gender identity ideology and legislation. NDP members essentially vilified me and women like me who were standing up for women's rights and again were concerned about the impacts of bill c-16 all of which came to fruition you know now we're seeing males being transferred into female prisons because they identify as women we're seeing men who are you know staying in women's shelters and transition houses because they identify as women and endangering marginalized women um we're seeing all sorts of nonsense where men are parading their fetishes around in public because they claim to be women or trans women and nobody can do anything about it because if you do, you're going to be charged with discrimination. You're going to be pulled into a human rights tribunal. Um, and so I just, I was like, I'm not voting for a party who's working against me essentially and won't even engage in the conversation, doesn't even want to hear my concerns. I had never voted for the Liberal Party and never will vote for the Liberal Party. Um, and, you know, for the, you know, I didn't vote at all after that. And in the next election, I'll probably vote Conservative. Why is it that there is like beyond strangeness happening now? It's just beyond, you know, you know, uh, I forget the documentary documentary, uh, what's it called? What is a woman or something yeah. along that lines? Yeah. Uh, you know, and you, you watch it and, uh, you know, like sitting on this side and starting to interview different people and follow different people and everything else. Like, uh, in the podcast realm, if you will, it's kind of like really prevalent because people are talking about it. But if you're just an everyday average person, Joe going to work and whatever else you may never you know come across it uh, for the most part and yet it's underlying there I was looking you know I had this sent to me the Regina Public Schools uh, must follow the students gender and sexual diversity in it and I can certainly read off a couple things uh, you know because like for me I guess it's just like oh yeah it's happening and you know I just in California it's happening in California New York yeah, I'll never get here but here it is in little old Saskatchewan 
And it talks about every student has a right to be addressed by a name and a pronoun that corresponds to their gender identity. A court-ordered name change or gender change is not required, and the student doesn't need to change their uh, official record. Students must be addressed by the pronoun that reflects their gender identity, regardless of their gender expression. Students have the right to use the washrooms and change rooms that match their gender identity. And then, of course, uh, in Ontario, the big thing in the last three weeks was Oakville, Ontario, with the transgendered teacher, um, with the giant prosthetic boobs walking around in shop class and a whole crap ton of stuff went down with that. And I go, why is this such a topic that is like, it's like nobody wants to talk about it. It's like everybody just wants to walk by and just like, can we just move on? Because to me, if you're on a podcast, you're, yeah, you'll talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk about just about anything. Um, as long as it's cordial or at least, you know, uh, allowing for open discussion back and forth. And yet this topic is really, really strange because to me, it just seems so black and white, at least in my world. And I've been yelled at before for that uh, thought, but just in my world, it just seems, it just, at least in school age children, it makes real sense that it be left out of there. And yet when I, when I say things like that, Megan, um, the, uh, prevailing attitude hasn't been oh yeah you're right it's been well at least the feedback has been something something else yeah i mean it's it's so strange and again you know i first started talking about this issue back in 2015 and nobody really nobody wanted to listen back then and and i think back then people just thought those of us who were talking about it, you know, there were a few feminists, there were some radical feminists who were talking about it. We, they just thought we were being crazy. Like it was like, who cares? Let him dress how he wants. And I don't really necessarily care how somebody wants to dress unless it is obviously like fetishy or pornographic um, or sexualized, especially when we're talking about a context like school, you know, where there's like minors around. Um, but, you know, if a man wants to wear a dress, I don't really care. Um, that and nor, wasn't and, the and issue. No, and nor do I care. Yeah. Right? So like, people were like, so what? Like live and let live. And and what we were talking about, we were like, no, because it's one thing to say, I want to wear a dress. I'm a man. I want to wear a dress. I want to wear makeup. Like go ahead. It's another thing for a man to say, I want to wear a dress. And that makes me a woman, <laughs> you know? Or that makes me literally female, which is what trans activists are saying now. And therefore, as a female, I have the right to access women's change rooms and women's transition houses and women's prisons. And I have the right to speak on behalf of, of women as a woman. Um, and and it's just it's exactly what happened. And I So I testified at the Senate against Bill C-16 in 2017. I was one of the only people in Canada who did. Jordan Peterson famously did as well. And the media really picked up on, on what Jordan Peterson was saying and completely ignored what I was saying because the Canadian media was trying to create this narrative wherein it was, you know, they wanted to frame Jordan Peterson as this horrible, sexist, right-wing guy, which I don't think is accurate messes like i don't i like a lot of what he says i don't like other things that he said so whatever we don't need to get into that but they wanted to frame this debate as you know any liberal progressive open-minded person is going to be in support of these kinds of policies and legislative changes they're going to support a man who says he wants to be a woman because that's the open-minded thing to do 
And anyone who opposes it is, uh, you know, hyper-religious, like far-right, like sexist, closed-minded bigot. So they, they could talk to Jordan Peterson about it because they could try to frame him in that way. You know, progressives did and probably still do see him as the antithesis to equal rights. Well, literally, if you, if you don't listen to him on Jordan Peterson, uh, on Jordan Peterson, on Joe Rogan, he can say some things where you get headlines every day and people buy the paper because they can. And, and I know a ton of people who haven't read any further than that. and yeah. think Jordan Peterson is a piece of shit. And yet, yeah. if you take the time to listen to uh, a lot of what he has to say, read his books, like he's not spouting anything too crazy at all. And he's helped a shit ton of people. Totally. I mean, the the media takes these little snippets out of context and vilifies him over it and people go along with it and don't bother to look into it for themselves. Um, But because at the time, you know, I was a feminist, I was left wing, the media refused to play your story or your side to share my story or let me speak for myself or, you know, have me on. And these, you know, I had at that time I had been on the CBC plenty of times I wrote for the CBC. Like, it's not like they didn't know who I was. Like I had written for Canadian media and I had done radio interviews in Canadian media before I published at the national post. I published in the Globe and Mail. Uh, I published at the national observer. I published at the walrus. Again, I published at the CBC, but as soon as I started talking about gender identity stuff, I was, you know, blackballed and it was cause yeah, it didn't fit the narrative and they've maintained that narrative ever since that, you know, anyone who opposes this stuff is not worth listening to because they're, you know, an evil, dangerous, hateful bigot. And while I think that the tides are turning in the public space, um, you know, in, in America, it seems like a lot of people are pushing back on that not much is going on in Canada. You know, we're still kind of going along and either people don't know what's going on um, because the media doesn't inform them of that and maybe because their friend groups don't talk about that or yeah, they're of the mind that, you know, if I'm going to consider myself to be like a nice, good, progressive, liberal person, I have to support the idea that men are women. I don't know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I find it a very hard subject to talk about with friends. Uh, I just don't, it just doesn't come up, you know, like, oh, can we, you know, so it, now I'm in the boonies of Western Canada. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Um, but it just, you know, um, COVID was hard enough on all of us, right? We just, you know, out here, um, we vote conservative. We want government to stay out of our life. We just want to, put food on the table and, and, you know, start a business, not start a business, go to work, whatever it is, and just leave us alone. And, yeah. uh, what continues to happen every year, uh, probably for longer than I admit it, but, uh, certainly the COVID years is it's the complete opposite. And so now you're being forced to talk about it and people don't want to talk about it. They want to talk about the Edmonton Oilers. They want to talk about sports. They want to talk about anything, but what is truly fucking up with our lives right now. And, uh, and you know, if we could get more of them talking about it, you could probably get to the the bottom of this a hell of a lot quicker, but, uh, that's uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable conversation. You know, Paul Brandt, the, the country singer, um, said something that stuck with me and, uh, I regurgitate it from time to time. 
but uh, he was talking about um, not my city. Uh, um, that's not a charity nonprofit, I think, that uh, he started up, and it's all about uh, um, sex trafficking of like kids and minors and just not not good stuff. And the first time I talked to him about it, I I, I had a hard time like talking about it. it's like. I don't know, disgusting, you know, like people, yeah. people, like, I just don't like talking. Really about upsetting. That's a really dark conversation to have. But he says the dark only gets to exist if the lights never shined on it. Right. And he's, he's just saying like, the longer we don't talk about things that matter, they just get to exist and carry on. And you can act like they're not happening, but they are. And it's like, oh, right. And I come all full circle on this. And, and that's part of where we're at. Uh, you know, more and more people are certainly talking about it because they've also lived through the last two years of COVID and lockdowns and all that came with it. Uh, but it's still, uh, I want to talk about uh, all the good things, not the not the difficult things. And yet the difficult things are really uh, taking a swing at us uh, these days. And, and once again, I go back to what you say. You want to address this. You, you got different feelings on male, female, that type of thing, uh, to each their own. It's just the, the thought process of putting it into the schools mm -hmm. makes me super uneasy. Mm -hmm. Uh, the fact that the, the, you talk about the fetish of the teacher in, in Oakville mm -hmm. and seeing that on firsthand, you know, after I started talking to a few different people and they pointed that out, I'm like, Oh, I hadn't really thought about that, I guess. Right. Like, gee, when do I ever think about that? It's, it's just not something that comes up in, uh, you know, regular day, a regular day chat, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's fine to just want to like live your life and talk about whatever sports or whatever, you know, like, I don't think people need to be constantly having political conversations, but I mean, at the same time, it's not helpful to pretend that something's not going on when it is going on. And that's sort of how, gender identity ideology was able to infiltrate in Canada. And it's, it's not just that people weren't paying attention or talking about it because a lot of people just didn't realize it was happening because the government, you know, the liberal government pushed this through without really opening up much of a public debate. And as I said before, the mainstream media really manipulated the conversation and treated the question as pretty much a done deal. You know, they behaved as though Canadians were all on board with this, when in reality, most Canadians had no idea what was going on. And when you talked, like I talked to a lot of people out in the world, you know, like I talked to people from all over the place. And when you talk to regular people, nobody thinks that a man can become a woman. That's not a mainstream concept. That's a marginal concept that only a marginal amount of people are, you know, believing or claiming to believe. But those are the voices that are promoted by the mainstream media and treated as the mainstream opinion. And it's super manipulative. And so it makes people scared to talk about it because they think that they can't say anymore. Yeah, obviously, that's a man. It's he, not she. Um, but you can. And most people, if you say something, they're like, oh, yeah, that, that's ridiculous. Of course, a man can't become a woman. Of course, it's crazy to allow a teacher to walk around in little bike shorts and giant prosthetic breasts with a blonde wig on. Like, of course, it's ridiculous to be teaching kids in school that maybe if you're a boy and you like playing with dolls and wearing dresses, maybe you're actually a girl. Maybe, maybe you're not a boy at all. I mean, that's a horrible thing to teach kids. It's so confusing.
and it puts them on this path. I mean, the issue of, of so-called trans kids, of transitioning kids is so troubling and honestly disgusting to me. You know, these kids are being socially transitioned when they're young, you know, nine, 10, maybe even earlier, which is to say, you know, in school, they're saying, okay, we'll call you, you're a boy. Now we're going to call you a girl name. Now we're going to call you she, and everyone's going to pretend that you're a girl, sometimes without even telling the parents that they're doing this. Um, and then that progresses into puberty blockers to prevent the kid from going through puberty naturally, which progresses into hormone replacement therapy, which progresses into surgery. And this is a process that is going to ruin a, a kid's life when they don't even know what that means. You know, when you're a minor, you don't know what the impact on your life and body is going to be of taking hormones, of stopping yourself from going through puberty. And of course, of getting, you know, surgeries like a mastectomy or, you know, even worse. Um, and these kids are going to end up being adults who can't enjoy sex and can't reproduce and have families and who are going to be stuck on hormones for life or dealing with complications of surgeries. You know, these are still experimental surgeries and it's not like a one and done deal. You go in and get your surgery and now you're a woman or now you're a man. It's a long process of a lot of surgeries. Most, you know, that often have really uh, harsh complications. Um, and the fact that they're, yeah, that they're teaching kids that this is not only like normal and, you know, harmless, but that this is going to help you be the real you, you know, in order to be the real you, you have to. What does that even mean? Processes. I know. I mean, the real you is just you. You're just you. You know, the, the, <laughs> Megan, the real you, me and you probably are still searching. Uh, that's a deep question, right? There's a, there's a lot of intricacies to the world that not having to worry about any of that, that a, a guy or a girl works on for their entire fucking life, right? Like that just, um, you know, you go through different stages and uh, whether it's um, different, different uh, stages in, in school are, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm searching for the words. Some kids have a real tough time. I got friends who had a real tough time in high school, high school. I point out, you know, just the bodies changing and everything and, I mean, uh, I have friends who just had a really, really difficult time and they finally, you know, I call it find themselves. I don't know what it is, right? They just, you know, they come into their own, so to speak, in college and they meet some friends that have the same thought process as them or, you know, just really enjoy conversations wherever it leads. Uh, <laughs> I just like sitting here at 36, I go, you know, I thought I had the world by the fucking tail at 18. At 25, I realized I was a moron. At 30, I realized at 25, I was a moron. And so on it goes, right? Here I yeah. sit at 36, and I still, I still, some days I'm like, I think I got a little bit of an idea of what's going on. And then, and then something will happen. I'll be like, man, I still, you know, I'm just as, you know, and I hope that continues on until I'm 80. I really do, because that just means there's so much more to learn and, and carry on. And, uh, you know, so many people have the best intentions about kids in school, right? They want to make them just like enjoy life every single day. And, and, you know, I don't know, fuck I'm you know, they just, they want to make sure they feel no pain ever. Yeah. Never get teased, never 
whatever, okay. bullying, all these things. And as a parent, I can safely say like, yeah, like you, you try and protect them as best you can. But no matter what you do, that's the world. And the world is going to come at you whether you're uh, eight years old, 16 or 36. And it's kind of a life of preparation, honestly. And experience is a pretty good teacher one way or another. But you come back to this, be your true self is like, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. And you certainly don't know when you're a kid or a teenager. You certainly don't know in your 20s. You think you know. Yeah. And I mean, you, yeah, like, I mean, hardship, <clears throat> it's, of course, you don't want to wish hardship on anyone, but that's how you become like a good, confident, well-rounded human being. That's how you learn about yourself. That's how you learn about other people. You know, it's very valuable to go through hard times. It's just, it's just true. And you can't, you can't protect your, your kid or your teenager from hard times and from people being mean. Um, you obviously want to protect them from trauma, but uh, this idea that like you have to protect them from having any bad feeling, so you have to validate every feeling they have, I think is so wrongheaded. And I think we're seeing the repercussions of people trying to do that. I can't keep up with, uh, I, 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 I sit here and I get tongue tied even trying to spit it out, but like, I feel terrible saying like, I just, and I, I don't know why I feel terrible about it, but like, but the LGBTQ community, and I already know I've missed a couple letters in there. I'm sure of it, but like, I can't keep up with all the genders. I can't even begin to understand all the pronouns. Like, and I honestly, I just don't want to, I just like, and I don't know. Uh, that makes me a horrible human being, I guess, these days. But I like, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm like, but I just want to treat everybody with respect. And if they, if they want to identify as something, I, I'm, well, yeah, sure, fire away. I but mean, things become ridiculous. Yeah, there's not a whole bunch of genders. There's not a whole bunch of identities. There's males and females. Some people are heterosexual. Some people are gay. That's pretty much it. Everything else whatever <laughs> like the gay rights that lgbtq plus plus whatever movement now at one point was just about fighting for gay rights so that lesbians and gays could get married and couldn't be discriminated against at work and wouldn't be subject to discrimination and violence which is good but that's pretty much been accomplished you know so do you, so do you go uh i've had a few different guys on talk about uh climate change and and um, one of them was uh, Patrick Moore, right? He used to be one of the head at Greenpeace. And he talks about Greenpeace and what they were for was, you know, eventually they got to a point where they kind of accomplished all their goals. Yeah. So then they, well, we can't just stop because now we've got to keep going and they keep going and they keep going and they keep, and now they're almost, you know, popular, whatever you want the word to be. And now they're fighting over things where you're like, well, this is a bit ridiculous, but we got to keep, you know, keep pushing the envelope. Is that the same thing then is what you're saying? A little bit, yeah. I mean, a big part of what did happen was that gay rights were won. So as you say, you know, the goals and the work of all these organizations, NGOs, charities, it was done. There was nothing else for them to do, really. But they wanted, they still wanted to, you know, keep their jobs and keep getting funded, funding. So they moved on to this trans issue, um, which at the same time was being talked about and normalized in academia, you know, in universities. 
There, in universities, there's no, I was in women's studies um, <clears throat> in college and university during the aughts. And a lot of it was probably pretty stupid at that point. <laughs> but now there's not even women's studies anymore. There's gender studies. And it's all just theory and ideology. And they took these theories and these stupid academic jargony conversations that no normal person would ever engage with <clears throat> and turned them into reality. And it's like, what really is a woman? What does that mean? I mean, no woman's the same. So maybe a woman can just be anything. And maybe a man is actually a woman. And people started taking it seriously. But I do, I think a lot of it has to do with money and funding. And now it has to do with money in terms of the fact that these, these kids or adults who are transitioning are essentially customers for life. You know, big pharma is making a whole bunch of money off of this now. Surgeons, you know, cosmetic surgeons are making a bunch of money off of it now. But yeah, a lot of these organizations that were once focused on gay rights are now totally focused on the trans issue. And you're going to, you also, like, you'll lose funding if you don't support all this gender identity nonsense. Like, you you probably noticed that Planned Parenthood has gotten on board. Planned Parenthood got on board with gender identity stuff and, you know, using proper pronouns and referring to women as, like, menstruators and pregnant people in, like, 2015, 2016, which is actually one of the first things that I started speaking out against and got me in a lot of trouble um, there was like a petition across Canada started by Toronto leftists to have me fired from my then job um, at this like kind of lefty online magazine called rabble.ca because I said, you know, women aren't menstruators. Women aren't pregnant people. People can't get pregnant. Women can get pregnant. This is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so, but I think if you don't go along, then you'll lose funding. And I think that's a big part of it. And I think the other part, honestly, is that, you know, a lot of the these older, these older men who are identifying as trans women wanted to kind of normalize and mainstream what they were doing, their identities, their sexual fetishes. And so they glommed on to that, that thing that, that the gay rights movement used to, um, I guess, normalize gay people, which gay people shouldn't be normalized, but like that was born this way. Like, it's not a choice. This is just how I am. And the trans movement glommed onto that and said, you know, some people are just trans. Some kids are just born trans. Um, and now we have this whole phenomena of so-called trans kids, which I, I just think is, is so crazy and disturbing and dangerous. Hmm. Yeah. A lot going on. <laughs> well, and, and it's it's just uh I you know I uh you know when I talk about the path, you know, that brought you from the sheep's field uh to Mexico, you know, if I think about my path, I certainly did not see it coming to this conversation, you know, running down the rabbit hole of Megan Murphy and seeing different things, folks, and then just being like, Well, this lady is interesting. I gotta have her on. Uh, anytime I can find people from within Canada who are speaking so speaking so openly in a culture that doesn't want to, you know, it's becoming more and more people are willing to, but in a culture that, you know, I've been brought up not to really talk about these things, like, uh, and that they're, you know, not even that, that it's just like, 
yeah, this won't ever happen here. Kind of almost mentality, right? Like if you just ignore it, it isn't there, except now it's in the laws and it's, it's sleep, uh, sleeping, sneaking into, uh, into schools. And, and like, you've just seen, it's just like, we're just beginning to see what this is. I got young kids and I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta figure more out about this because for me as a parent, I'm, I'm just like, well, what? Right. And so, um, I want to go back. I got a few extra minutes with you. I want to go back to 2016. I think you said, uh, Jordan Peterson, you both talking Senate, they go on Jordan Peterson's view because you don't fit the mold of what they wanted to create. Mm-hmm. Is that the first time you, uh, like really noticed the narrative or had you noticed it for a long time being in journalism? Um, I think that I, yeah, I didn't, I hadn't realized that that was why they were keeping me out of that conversation. You know, once that happened, um, and I was just really angry about it. And I think I probably didn't totally understand at first. I mean, I, I knew that like, obviously it's a hugely controversial thing. So I was just like, they don't want to cover this honestly, because they're trying to push through this legislation. But, you know, as that was happening to me and I was starting to think about why I was like, well, why are they, you know, blowing up Jordan Peterson, but they won't hear my perspective, which at the time was, you know, more heavily focused on, you know, feminism, women's rights, um, what I thought to be like sexist ideas really that was, that were being pushed via this gender identity ideology. You know, my, my view of all this has expanded beyond that since then. Um, I realized that it was just that, yeah, they, they wanted to make it out to be that all feminists and all leftists were on board with this, which wasn't true. And I mean, I, you know, it's also, I, I was really frustrated as a Canadian and as a Canadian feminist, feminist because there were so few people who were willing to speak out about this. And I really put my neck out on the line. And in some ways, you know, it could be like said that it was, I had less to lose. Um, you know, I was independent. I was an independent writer at that point, you know, like I did have this this part-time job as an editor at, at Rabble at that point um but I left I left that job uh, after you know when was that probably around 2016 or something like that because I was being censored I was censored for criticizing this idea that we should be calling women menstruators and and pregnant people so I, I left but I mean there were so few people who were re- willing to speak out so it was easy to pretend as though it's like, oh, it's just Megan and she's this horrible, evil bigot and she's a terrible person, but nobody else thinks like her. And I was like, I'm pretty sure there are other people who think like me. They're just not saying anything or you're just not talking to them or they're scared to speak because if you do speak out about this stuff, you get canceled or you get fired or you lose your friend group or you get kicked out of your political party, you get kicked out of your activist circles. You know, like it's, it's hard. And I mean, it's that stuff has happened to me too, but I, I know that it's hard, you know, like, it's not like I want to downplay the impacts of that. I mean, people can't afford to lose their jobs and getting ostracized and losing friends and social circles is really, really hard. Like that's a harsh punishment. It's not nothing. And I, you know, like I, like I've been through that as well and it sucks. It's really hurtful. Um, it's really maddening. 
But if you but, could go, but if you could go back, Megan, and not lose your job and not speak out about it and just carry on, what type of existence would that have been for you? No, I ne- I never would. I can't do that. I don't have it in me. Um, I mean, what I do is I I speak the truth. I mean, as best I can, what I believe to be the truth. Um, and if I see that something is going on that's wrong or dangerous. I'm going to say something. I can't not, you know, like I can't not tell the truth. And I, I don't even, I don't even understand. Like I can't relate to people who can stand by and see these things happen and not say anything, you know, like no matter the risk and the punishment. I mean, I just, I couldn't live with myself. Um, you know, like authenticity and integrity is really important to me. Um, and being able to speak my mind is really important to me. And, and once you do that a lot, I mean, you realize it, it actually like, while on one hand, it's scary. On the other hand, it makes you so much more confident and comfortable with yourself. You know, like I'm not scared of getting canceled or scared of making people angry. I'm, I'm going to say what I think. And if you're angry, then fine. But you know, I, it's, it's a lot easier to just be yourself than to feel like you're hiding parts of yourself. Um, I find that very anxiety inducing and stressful. And I could not imagine being, you know, part of a friend group where I felt like I couldn't say what I thought, or I couldn't be myself. Or if I told the truth about an issue, they were going to, you know, vilify me and never speak to me again. Um, I don't want to be around people like that. And that's a big part of what I've learned by moving to Mexico too, because I did, I have had friends and friend groups like that in the past who, you know, stopped speaking to me or canceled me or ostracized me because of the things that I was saying in my work. Um, and living here, like people just are not like that. People are not going to start stop speaking to you because you vote for a different party than they do or because you have a different view on a political issue than they do. Um, people here know what I do now. They didn't at first for a long time. I didn't really talk about it very, very much, but once you go on Rogan, you can't really like hide it anymore. <laughs> and my friends here were just like, way to go. That's awesome. Like, what, and, you know, yeah. like it's not even about agreeing or not agreeing. They're like, well, that's our friend Megan. What, what was her. like, what was it like being in that studio? Oh, it's awesome. I love Joe. He's, he's great. Like, so I've been on twice now. The, the first time was, what was that? It was like, uh, it was almost, they were almost a year apart. Like the first time I went on was probably like July or August. And then I was back there again in June, this past June. Um, and I mean, I'm like pretty, I like talking. You can probably tell. <laughs> so like to me, like having a conversation is something I enjoy doing. And I, I think I'm pretty good at doing that. Um, I don't get super nervous anymore. Obviously, I was a bit nervous because it's like Joe it's Rogan. Joe it's fucking like a Rogan. massive yeah. audience. Like it's like yeah. so many people are listening to this. And if I screw up and I say something that maybe I don't mean or I regret or that's stupid, there's going to be like a million people well, that heard. <laughs> it's funny though. You got you got a decade of, of talking about something uh, very uncomfortable to talk about so you you have some practice in it you yeah. know uh, um 
just, you know, in the, the short time I've done a little digging on you, which, you know, certainly hasn't been 10 years of sitting and listening to you. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people who followed every move of your career and have enjoyed it uh, along your way. Uh, but you're, you know, it's, it's like, um, probably perfect timing for you because one thing you can do better than a lot of people when it comes to, uh, this topic in general is you can just articulate your thought on it pretty clear and concise. Like, no, this is, this is what it is. And for a lot of us, we're, you know, and I don't know if this is Canadian. I don't know whether this is just a human being. We're kind of like, well, yeah, maybe, you know, and, uh, it takes, it takes time and, uh, uh, dedication to, um, get to a point where you're just like, nope, no. And, and maybe you're always like that. But for me, uh, I find a lot of people just need a little time and experience and, a little more uh, research to go. No, this is this is what it is, and certainly uh, for myself, um, getting to talk to people such as yourself and others is super beneficial, not only to me but the audience as well. Yeah, I mean, it it takes practice. It does, and I've had a lot of practice. Um, and sometimes it takes a while to like sort out your thoughts and get your head around a certain issue and to be able to feel comfortable being like, Nope, this is what's going on. This is what I think this is wrong. Well, so you, on and so forth. you get to podcast, right? So you get to talk and talking forces you to think, plus you mentioned you, you, you're a writer slash editor, right? Anytime you, you have to um, formulate your thoughts into sentences and everything else. Like that's a, I don't do it near enough, but that's a powerful uh, tool to use uh, where you oh, get yeah. to, like, think it out and be like, no, this is, this is why. And not a lot of people do that anymore. Like just in general, the population does not do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's a real gift and a real blessing, both of those things too. I mean, I've learned so much from podcasting all these years and being able to talk to so many different people. It's helped me change my mind about all sorts of issues. Um, And writing is for me, one of the best ways for me to process my thoughts and to understand my own arguments and yeah, and sort out my perspectives and opinions on various things. So, I mean, I'm really lucky to be able to, to do what I do for sure. Um, what's one thing you're, you're paying attention to today that you're like, you know, if I look at it, yeah, you were maybe seven years ahead of, uh, of where a lot of people are at today, maybe longer, maybe shorter, wherever you're at. What's one thing uh, Megan Murphy is paying attention to right now that you're like, huh, I don't like this is where this is going. Lab grown meat. <laughs> That's probably not what you expected me to say, but I really am very disturbed by this. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to like figure out that issue and get the word out. Cause I think that this push to sell us, uh, fake meat and lab grown meat is disgusting and creepy. And it's an attack on our food sovereignty. It's an attack on farmers. It's a fact attack on our like autonomy and to be able to live as autonomous beings. Like it's a way for corporations to like own inter- intellectual property rights on meat. Um, I think it's probably pretty unhealthy i think humans are carnivores and that we should be eating meat and fish i'm not saying if you want to be vegetarian or vegan like good for you but i think that it's it's good for us (laughs) access to that kind of protein and 
the I'm not going to be able to articulate this perfectly now because this is something that I'm just like learning about and trying to figure out. But I will say that lab-grown meat freaks me out. And I think that we really need to be paying close attention to that and pushing back. Well, does that mean in, in a few months time, you'll come back on to talk about lab-grown meat? Totally. Yeah, I'd love to. I'm trying to get that some conversations around that going on my podcast. So I'm going to learn as much as I can about that. We'll we'll stay in touch that way. uh, I would love nothing more than to uh, have you dig into it and then share all the deets with, uh, with myself and the audience, because uh, certainly know a little bit about it, but not nearly enough. And I think it's a horrendous idea. I mean, probably cost effective wise, someone's going to argue and food supply and blah, blah, blah. They're going to have a great point of why this is working, all these different things. Overall, I'm just like, that terrifies the shit out of me, right? Like, Oh, uh, yeah. They're going to they're gonna sell it as a cheaper and more sustainable. But that's right. I, I don't think that's true. And in a few months, I'll tell you why. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, your final question then is uh, brought to you by Crude Master Transport. Shout out to Heath and Tracy McDonald. Um, supporters of the podcast since the very beginning. And uh, with Meg and I, will joke yet again. <laughs> That that at times has not been easy. Um, he said, if you're going to stand behind a cause and stand behind it, absolutely. What's one thing Megan stands behind? Free speech. Free speech is like one of the most important things um, that we need to protect. We need to stand up for free, free, free speech and free expression. And if we lose that, I think we're screwed. So we, especially as Canadians, have to be really, really careful about protecting our constitutional rights, in particular, our, our free speech rights. Well, I appreciate you coming on and giving me an hour of your time. I've kept you a, a few extra minutes. and uh, mm-hmm. Don't hold that against me. Either way, okay. uh, thanks, Megan. Enjoy the heat down in Mexico, and I'll look forward to hearing all about, uh, uh, well, not canned tuna, but whatever they're going to call it, Beyond Meat <laughs> 2.0. Yeah. Awesome. Great to talk to you. Thanks again.